Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. Today, we are chatting with the amazing Dr. Nicole Rankins, a board-certified OB-GYN who seems to do it all. She's a doctor, a mom, a podcast host, course creator, and so much more. Dr. Rankins helps empower women through pregnancy and their birth. In a time that can feel so overwhelming, it's important to feel calm and confident. Today is going to be filled with ways to advocate for yourself and we cannot wait. Thank you so much for taking the time. I am a super fan, so thank you again. We're so excited. Yes, well, thank you for having me and for making me sound so fabulous in the introduction. (laughs) Well, you are fabulous. Well, thank you. I have a heart, soul, and passion for this, this work. It is what I was put here to do, so I am excited to talk about it. We are just really, really, and I'm, I've, I've said this to Lexi before we started recording, I really do hope that this episode can serve as a resource for a lot of students um, that come and take my prenatal Pilates classes and, you know, are, they're really looking to have a good positive birth experience and a mm-hmm. lot of them are, you know, feeling a little bit unsure as to how to advocate for themselves. Sure. And I'd love your thoughts on you know, what does it really mean, first of all, to advocate for yourself? And why is it so hard for people? Yeah, that's a great question. So it it really means understanding that you have power and you have choice and what happens to you during your pregnancy and during your birth experience. So very much so the history of obstetrics, um, definitely in the U.S. And I don't know about for you, you guys also, but very much so like you just do what the doctor says, you don't ask any questions, you know, you don't, you don't participate at all. And really advocating for yourself means knowing that you have that power and then actually doing a little bit of work to know how to best use that power. So educating yourself, informing yourself, and it doesn't have to be overwhelming, but so that you are an empowered participant in your birth because everybody deserves to have to be respected, to be treated with compassion, dignity, have a respectful birth experience. And ideally, in an ideal world, I actually wouldn't have to do the work that I have to do because people would just go to the, you know, in medical care and get treated the right way. Like we wouldn't have to talk about this. Um, There would be no need for what, what I do. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Every medical provider doesn't you know, whether it's doctors or midwives or whoever, it, it's not, you know, it, it's it's not specific to any particular provider. They're all unfortunately instances where people aren't being treated the way that they should be treated during birth. So it's really just about knowing that you have power and knowing how to use it. That was a long answer, but oh no, it's good. It's good. I've got one more question here. I really want to hop in. I'm, I feel like I might be mic hogging Lex, just so you know. I apologize in advance. I know, believe me, I know I'm like, fast friends. Okay. And I'm like, okay, wait, one more, one more. So, um, all right. I have an honest question and I was thinking yeah. about it. You are a busy person. You're an obstetrician. Mm-hmm. You deliver babies. There are 
is a lot going on in your life already. Was, you know, was there a catalyst or was there a specific moment where you were like, I have to do something more. I have to help women, you know, people, birthing people, however mm-hmm. you want to frame it. Mm-hmm. But in, is there a story behind your work? That's a really great question. So I have been doing this for over 15 years now and have had the privilege of helping well over a thousand babies. I can't believe it. Um, and when I started out, I, I'll be honest, I, I wasn't the same as I am now. Um, I would roll my eyes at birth plans. I didn't understand why anybody had to have a birth plan. I didn't even, I'm ashamed to say, I didn't even understand things as simple as asking, like, is it okay before I do something as invasive, like a cervical exam? Like those aren't things that we are taught to do. And it really came to be that over the course of me, like stepping back and taking a moment to work on my own personal development and, and trying like reading books and figuring out how to be the best person that I could be and use like my gifts and talents that I realized that I wanted to present myself and, and act and be a different type of um, not just person, but physician also. So throughout my life and it just, it sort of like clicked probably Oh, it had to be at least like five or six years after practice. Like this, this is not right. Like the way that we're treating folks is, is, is not right. And then hearing all of like the health disparities, you know, I'm a black woman and the way that marginalized communities are treated and just realizing that this is not right. And it took me a little bit to figure out how to best work on that, but it was really just over time, just realizing like we have to do better and being more comfortable speaking up about that and making change about that. And I will say the moment that really like clarified it for me, like crystallized it was when I went to um, do a cervical check, you know, examine a patient, see how dilated her cervix was. And I said, "Um, is it okay if I check your cervix, you know, knowing that these are things that I'm supposed to be asking now. And she looked at me and she said, do I have a choice? And in that moment, I really felt like I want every woman to know that she has a choice about what happens in her body. 100% always period full stop. I've got shivers. (laughs) It's wow. That that is a moment. I think I saw you do it a reel on that. And I, I saw that reel that you did and I, I got shivers when I saw the reel and I'm getting shivers. Now you telling me the story. It, I mean, it really just like, hit me like we, and some of this is the backdrop of like the way women are treated in society and not realizing that we have choices. All of it kind of relates in our life, but definitely in your body and pregnancy and what happens to you, you absolutely should have a choice. I love to hear you say that. And I, I'm going to share a story with you because I find mm. that maybe, and maybe, and I'm fine with it. Okay. I'm not a medical professional. I'm a Pilates instructor. I focus in pelvic health, but I have never given someone a cervical check and I probably never will. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point is, is that I recently did a reel with a friend of mine who is a labor and delivery nurse here in Toronto. And it did really well. It was all about how do you advocate for yourself in labor? And we did role playing. So I was the pregnant person, you know, what reels are like these days, right? Mm-hmm, it's all very mm-hmm. skit, skit based. And she, you know, and so one of them was, um, the nurse coming in saying, okay, it's time to put your IV in. And me having just been admitted saying, actually, you know, can we wait on that? Like I, they're really uncomfortable for me. I'd really, if I don't need it for any meds right now, I'd rather wait if I don't need one. 
And that was just one of the examples. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, we sparked quite a heated dialogue and so many people saying it was irresponsible of us to sort of come out and say like, why wouldn't you get the IV and you're, you're spreading misinformation. And what about a dead babies, like the dead baby card about the IV. And I was, I, I mean, she did most of the back and forth cause right. she's the nurse. And I just right. sort of like watching this thing explode, right. on, you know, I mean, it's good for engagement, let's be honest, but still like, <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about the dead baby card? I hate to bring it up so early in this interview, but I think it needs to be talked about. Yes, yes, yes. Like fear-based tactics have no place in obstetrics. And that doesn't mean, right, that you can't be realistic about the possibilities of things that could happen because it's true that pregnancy is unpredictable. And in some certain circumstances, it can be dangerous. But actually the default is that it's normal. It's a natural process, something on the order of billions of human beings have been born. So, and a lot of them a long time before we had medical intervention. And I'm not saying that to say that there's, that there's not a benefits to medical intervention. Actually, um, medicine has, has helped save lives and really hospital birth in particular has really been really helpful for preemie babies for sure. 100%, uh, and myself included having had a preemie baby, but like there should be no like dead baby talk over an IV. This like this is some of the indoctrination that we have in our culture. There's something about the culture of medicine where it's a it's really a power trip, to be honest with you, with some respect, where doctors and nurses think they have power and control over what happens. We even use words like allow, like we don't allow you to eat. We don't allow you to get up. That implies that we have control over what happens in your body. So it's really a cultural problem. And when you step back and kind of look at it objectively, for example, I will say, if someone says to me, they don't want an IV, then it should be a conversation. Like, okay, is there a circumstance when you would want an IV or when you would be okay with an IV? Can we potentially, are you a hard stick? Like, is it hard for you to get, to get an IV placed? Because if it is, then we really should consider doing it early. So we don't have to rush if there's any circumstances where there's an emergency. Um, I would iterate that we don't necessarily have to hook it up to anything. We can just place what's called a saline lock and have it there as needed. So it like jumping all the way to the it's irresponsible and dead baby. A part of that is part of our culture and not understanding that there are nuances and none of this is like mm-hmm. black and white and perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I think though, in, in that, like, it's that part of the kind of who's in control, I guess, that also as someone who doesn't, and I had a, I had a midwife who advocated on my behalf and I witnessed that while I was in my, my labor experience. And, um, and that was amazing because I don't think, and I'm a strong, like I'm, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a businesswoman, like I am all the things of someone who you would think in that situation would advocate for themselves, but I would default to that, like, oh, but I'm not the professional in this. And so I probably don't know what's best. And, oh no, I don't want that guilt on my conscience if I made that decision and then it goes wrong, like then what? So how do you recommend? And I, but I love all of this. And I know like Nikki talks about, you know, advocating for yourself all the time, but in that situation and the amount of pressure a woman's under, you know, in, in the birthing process Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. all the stressors around it, how do you recommend being able to advocate for yourself? And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, this is a great question. Great question. So 
Number one is like waiting until you're in the birth environment to kind of talk about some of these things and figure it out. Then that is entirely too late. You have to start educating yourself during your pregnancy. So it's a process where you feel comfortable and you want to, and this is why I, I advocate for birth plans, but not birth plans where you just download a form and bring it with you to the hospital because you have no idea whether or not they're actually going to support what is in that plan. So the way that I teach making a birth plan is a process where you ask questions, you, you want to gather as much information as you can, and then you can adjust accordingly. So it's really about trying to educate yourself, advocate for yourself in a low pressure, lower stakes environment of during your pregnancy and prenatal visits. And when you have time to adjust or switch doctors, if need be, I'll tell people all the time, you know, if the doctor isn't, y'all aren't getting along, it doesn't, I don't care if they did your past smears for the last, you know, 10 years or whatever, if it ain't working for your pregnancy, <laughs> find somebody else. You know, I will say that, you know, on the flip side, there are, there are doctors out there. There are midwives out there who do support women who do want to do the right thing. There are hospitals that can provide great experiences. Sometimes you just have to look a little bit for them. So um, to answer your question, definitely try to do it in a low stakes environment. And I wait when you come to the hospital and also having the right support around you. Uh, a doula can be a great person to help you during that time as well, both during your pregnancy and during your labor and birth to be an advocate for you. And I then of course, childbirth, ed- childbirth education is part of it as well. So you know yeah. what to expect mm-hmm. and you know what's coming and what questions to ask. No, I love that. I was asking Nikki, cause I didn't know, like, I love how you're so, you really are all about empowering women um, to, to, you know, speak on their behalf and all that. It's, it's so important because I asked Nikki, I was like, do you think like doulas, like, do you think, you know, that you'd be okay with doulas? Like you, you, that you'd like doulas? Oh, me? Yeah. Oh yeah. I love to. Yeah. I work with doulas side by side. Like I have for my um, online, for my childbirth education class, the, the course group, um, the community manager is a doula who's in my community. Um, I, we need to work collaboratively to center the birthing person in their experience and work around her to give her the best experience. So that means I should work with people who can um, support them and doula research back. There is the big, what's called a Cochrane review study, looking at having continuous labor support from someone like a doula can decrease your chances of C-section, decrease your need for pain medication, makes you feel better about your birth. I'm all about research. And the research is very clear that a support person like a doula helps. So that's what we should support. So I 100% support it. And I also know, um, and I'm I, like, I can, y'all, y'all see, I can talk, right? Love it. So, <laughs> Good. We love it. We love it. So um, I also know that like, we each have our gifts and skills that we bring to this experience. I'm a board certified OBGYN. I've been doing this for 15 years. I know my lane. I know my, like what I can bring to the table. And that doesn't take away or like someone else coming into the space doesn't take away from my value and worth and my knowledge. Like I know, I know that I'm very good at what I do. I also know though that I can't sit at the bedside and like massage your back for four hours. Like, <laughs> do it. <laughs> but I know that that helps people. And I know that, you know, the, uh, so I know that have, I can support and work with a doula in order to help provide that, that, um, that 
great experience. So I love working with doulas. I love that because I've heard it, you know, that it can be a contentious relationship sometimes between, you know, and, and maybe this is just, you know, something that is a fallacy, but I, you hear like, oh, well, they don't believe in doulas. They roll their eyes or the doctor, you know, or even the midwives versus the doctors, the midwives and the nurses. Like, well, where does this sort of Yeah, I mean, that's true. It's true. From? It's true. I mean, I actually work with midwives in my hospital. We work, um, I work side by side with midwives all, all the time. Um, it, it it's <laughs> the the reality is I know from like Facebook groups and things that I'm in, there is some animosity between doulas, midwives, physicians, and it goes both ways. Like physicians talk trash sometimes about doulas, doulas talk trash about physicians. It's just that we've all for so long existed in these silos and haven't learned how to best come together. I really honest to goodness think we're getting better and there's progress, but you know, there's still work to be done. Yeah, I would agree for sure. Because I, I hear the, you know, and I, I feel sometimes I'll be honest, I have to be careful because I try to talk about, you know, advocating for yourself and all these things on my page online, but I never want it to be about bashing any particular mm-hmm. care provider. And yet mm-hmm. people have a tendency to share their stories and sometimes it can feel like a bashing party and it's not the intention. Yeah. And, you know, listen, sometimes the stories people tell, cause I believe women, like I believe their stories. I Like sometimes people don't want to believe what people say. And I'm like, I don't think people are making these things. Like, why would they make this up, you know, like we need to believe what people say. And some of the stuff that some of us are doing, Lord have mercy. Like we, like it's, it's terrible actually. And really um, sad. And when you're from a, a, you know, a more marginalized community, potentially like a person of color or lower income, it can be even worse, but that's, that's, that's the reality for some, but gratefully not the reality for everyone. So I think we're all working to help people get to those spaces mm-hmm. where they have the best experience and can get away from those those bad yeah. parts. Yeah. What do you wish would change the most about birth specifically in North America? Yeah, we have to start from the place of like what is in the best interest of this person giving birth and then plan everything else around that. Where we don't do that. We really plan things around like What's the most convenient for the schedule or, you know, how many rooms do we have? Or I have to go do my bundle check or what, you know, postpartum check at three o'clock in the morning and not pay attention to the fact that maybe she needs some sleep and we shouldn't be like busting in the room at three o'clock in the morning. If we really like started from that place, I think we could redesign a system that is much more, um, supportive of birthing people, but also still recognizes the needs of, of people, of the the providers who are providing care. You know what I mean? So like, it's not an either, or we can make it so that physicians, midwives, doulas feel good about the work that they're doing. And we're taking care of the birthing person too. That would be an amazing feat to accomplish. It would be, (laughs) I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime, but we going to try. <laughs> it does seem to be pretty different in some countries around the world. I hear stories of women giving birth in Sweden and in the Netherlands, and it feels different. But even y'all have a year of maternity leave. I mean, mm-hmm. like we, like we, yeah. it's just not the same here. So, obviously, in, in other places in the world, the midwifery model of care is the the baseline. Um, you know, the U.S. it's not it's not 
like that. And the reason that is, is because, you know, most birth is low risk and then wives do low risk birth very well, but that will never happen. I don't think in the United States, to be honest with you, because I think physician groups will push back and lobby against that until they die. But um, I think we, we work more with midwives, but I don't think it'll ever be a system or where it's like midwives provide most of the low risk care. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a, a question for you about specifically for women of color who may be listening to this, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that this is, it's a very, obviously it's a very difficult conversation and topic, but you know, do you have any specific advice for anyone who might be a member of a more marginalized community who is pregnant and potentially feeling anxious about their birth? You know, I would imagine it's even more important for them to learn how to advocate for themselves. So do you have anything specific? Yes, 100%. It is even more important that you feel like you have, whether it's a midwife or a doctor a care team who is supportive of you and your birth. I think it's really important that you have a doula who's with you or a family member who's with you, who can feel comfortable speaking up for you on your behalf um, because it can legitimately be life or, or death. Um, so you, you really just, you have to have that support and feel comfortable. So you feel safe and, and, in your birthing environment, 100%. So I'm hearing more, more birth support, continuous birth support mm-hmm. would be mm-hmm. critical. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think childbirth education also, I mean, it's important for everybody, but when you're from a community that's at higher risk for mistreatment, then you really have to be armed with education. So you can know how to advocate for yourself. And some of it, I'm sad to say some of it is also knowing some of the psychology of working with people. I always tell people, you know, start from a place of kindness, start from a place of trying to connect with people on a human level. These are still human beings. And often when you connect on a human level and you start your sentences with things like, I am scared, I am worried, I am concerned, and not like you are doing this, you are doing that. Talk about how you feel and your concerns and hopefully they will respond on that human level. Now, if they don't and you have to keep escalating it, then you do. But if you can start from trying to connect with people on a human level, I think that helps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great tips. And what do you, what other kind of tips, you know, you mentioned your um, birth plans and how you used to not be a believer in them. And now it's really important to be, you know, proactive in that Mm -hmm. and, and talking in advance around these things in order to advocate for yourself early. Um, what other tips do you recommend, uh, for women and, and around advocating for themselves or other, you know, tips that you want pregnant women to hear that are listening to this? Yeah. So I have like a five-step process that I teach and kind of works in my course. So step one is really just what I call setting the tone for your birth. And what I mean by that is a lot of your birth and being successful, I shouldn't say successful or feeling good about your birth experience is your mindset and what you, your, your mindset going into your birth. And you can work on your mindset during your pregnancy with things like meditation and gratitude and visualizations. Actually, all of those things can help with you going into your 
your birth experience. And then also part of setting the tone is um, making sure you have the right support. Your partner's on your side. You have people around you who support what you want for your birth, not what they think you should have for your birth. So if your mama is like, oh my God, I can't believe you're not getting an epidural, then tell your mama to wait in the <laughs> you know, <laughs> so like, you need, yeah, so that was my mama. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Tell mama, can you be at home and cook some dinner for me or something, please? Like I give tips on other things that you can give people to do if you don't want them to be in your space. <laughs> um, and then also the physical environment where you give birth matters to people don't realize that. So I can't stand it. it me personally, it's obviously about the person, but I'm like, can we just turn the lights down? Like it, like it doesn't have to be like 12. 4,000 lights in here. So turn the lights down, string up some Christmas lights if you want to. Just create a nice atmosphere. Put some pictures around in the room if you want to. That physical environment makes a difference on how you feel because you have to feel safe. You have to feel comfortable. So that's um, set the tone for your birth. And then step two is learn all the details of labor and birth. Learn what's happening in your body. What you see on TV, you have three contractions and you go to the hospital. I mean, the, like that's just not how, it, that's not how it goes. So understanding that it can be, you know, what to expect, cervical exams, all of those things. So that's learn what ha- what's happening in your body. Pushing, delayed cord clamping, skin-to-skin contact, asking for those things and, and having it established that this is what I want and talking about it during your pregnancy. So all the details of labor and birth. And then step three is prepare for the possibilities because birth is unpredictable. So know what happens with the C-section. Know that you have some choices there too about, can I have music played? Can I have dim lights? Can I have my doula come in with me during the C-section? Pitocin, labor induction is all like, Mm -hmm. comes up constantly. So understanding like what could happen with labor induction. So prepare for possible things that could happen. Then step four, which I think we're talking about more, but we certainly did before is Prepare for the postpartum period while you're still pregnant because like having the baby is just the beginning. So you really need to just, and it doesn't have to be like overwhelming, but line up a lactation counsel, like their number. So you have it just in case if you have trouble breastfeeding, if you want to breastfeed, you want to line up mental health support services just in case, because sometimes, you know, postpartum depression is real, postpartum anxiety is real. So no places where you can reach out and connect, whether that's your girlfriends, the doctor's office, you know, have your resources lined up there and know what to expect in your body and recovery afterwards. So again, this doesn't have to be overwhelming, but just know how to especially get through those first Mm -hmm. few weeks. Mm -hmm. And then the fifth step is, like I said, make a birth plan or make um, that works to actually help you have the birth that you want. I love so that. Helpful. That's that's a lot. Thank you for sharing all that. <laughs> yeah, that's so <laughs> Y'all are like, we didn't know she could talk this much. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you're saying, I'm hanging off every word, word doc here. So, <laughs> and the tips, are, like you know, those are exactly. And it, I know it can sound overwhelming, but you have, you know, you've got a lot of time when you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you've got preparation time. You can bite yeah. size it, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I suggest sometimes it can feel like just find one or two sources that resonate with you and stick with those if it feels good and, and it covers things comprehensively. Um, don't feel like you have to listen to every single person, you know, find what feels right for you energetically and stick with that. Yeah. yeah. Kate, can I ask you specifically about uh, VBACs? 
mm-hmm. and specifically, you know, because I actually get a ton of women doing my prenatal Pilates classes. And I, I find it's actually a lot of people are surprised. It's usually second or even third time moms who are, you know, maybe they didn't have a great experience the first time and they're mm-hmm. hoping for a better. So I'm sure you're probably dealing with a lot of a similar population. Yeah. <laughs> so what is it that, you know, you would say might become even more critical for someone who is hoping to have a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean? Yes. So you definitely want to find somebody who was actually supportive of VBAC and not just like, oh yeah, I guess, you know, if that's okay, if you want to try a VBAC, because there's a difference. You want to find some, and you would need to ask this early in the beginning of the like, pregnancy. Like how early? I mean, first visit, like if you think you want to be back, then say, hey, listen, I want, I want to be back. How, how do you feel about this? Or what are your thoughts on this? Because some things that come up, um, people, when I talk about VBACs, like they're VBAC calculators that people use where you can put in your characteristics or whatever. And it spits out a number of like, what are your chances of a successful VBAC? Those are trash. I didn't even say like they're not very accurate, are they? Yeah, they're trash. Um, because they can't, they they don't tell you. I mean, it's just a number. I, I honestly got I'm gonna tell you the VBAC story that for me. We had a patient who had a 30, she had a 35-week baby that would that got stuck and had a failed vacuum, and she ended up having a C-section. Now, 35 weeks baby is smaller. If the baby is not coming out at 35 weeks with a vacuum, so that was her first birth. She came back when I was on shift and when I was working, this time 39 weeks, um, bigger baby, and she wants to 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 be back. And I was like, well, okay, I guess we'll see. <laughs> Even though the 35 weeker didn't fit, let's just see what happens. Because honestly, God, you don't know. When I tell you she had the easiest V back, um, you you just you we do wow. not. Yes, we do not know. We just don't know. So you really don't know if a baby will fit until you try. So that's even just in regular labor or for VBAC. So whatever the first reason is, if you want to try, just know the the risk and um, and 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 you can try when one hundred percent. So calculators are trash. <laughs> Find somebody who is also comfortable with induction because some doctors don't want to do labor induction with the, with the VBAC, but you absolutely can as long as you take your time and do it safely. So, okay. um, VBAC the VBAC link is a good resource for folks who they're coming on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I do the booking, so she's like, "Oh, really?" I'm like, "Yep, they're coming. Don't worry." <laughs> yeah, they're they're a great resource. They talk about like VBAC, VBAC tolerant versus VBAC supportive, and the differences between them. So I'm sure they'll talk about that when they come. Okay. So no calculators. That person no. Would yeah. The <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They. I mean, they. They just. They. It'd be different if they were accurate. If they were accurate, sure. But they're not. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good to know. Um, okay. Let's see here. I've got a bunch of questions here. We've run through a lot of them already, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I really want to dive more into this idea and I, we've talked about it, but I want to go a little deeper. You know, why is it that women tend to have birthing people tend to have a hard time advocating for themselves in the moment? And, you know, you've got Lexi here who is like a, a very, you know, confident, powerful, Mm-hmm. business lady here in the Toronto <laughs> world. More, more. 
And, you know, you've got a hundred people to work for you, Lexi, like you're very, you're a powerhouse. And yet you've been said to me, you're like, oh, I don't want to be a bitch. Like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to like, so what is that? What's up with that? Yeah. I just, I really think part of it is the, the, the power, it's the power dynamics of feeling like you can't, you can't, or you're not supposed to speak up against authority and physicians have been placed as authority figures who you shouldn't question. And that's just not true. So I really just think it's just a, a cultural dynamic that needs to, to shift. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it necessarily, like some folks are shifting it towards like consumer, like you're buying something. And to some degree, I think that's the case, but we need to find like a middle ground where I I I am there to, I tell people like in my classes, like you want to respect their knowledge and expertise because they have that. They worked hard for it, but that doesn't mean that they are the expert on you and what you want and what you feel. So they're the expert in medicine. Be Know and recognize that you have your own expertise about yourself and your health and feel comfortable bringing that to the table. I can imagine, like you said, the setting matters and mm-hmm. anything that calm you matters. So mm-hmm. if you feel anxious, mm-hmm. like you're going to be tightened if you feel like you're not getting, you know, that experience that you have envisioned in your mind and things are, a lot of things can go differently, but if you don't feel heard. That's mm-hmm. just going to heighten your anxiety and probably 100%. add to, you know, whatever issue you may be dealing with anyway yeah. versus yeah. calm and relaxed and mm-hmm. then being able to have the confidence. Like yeah. I mean, women need a lot of confidence when they're <laughs> pushing a baby out or going into a C-section. Like there's, it's important to feel strong and good about yourself in that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, it's also important. I also think feeling safe is really important too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You have, you have to feel safe. Yeah. I, I guess I wanted to talk and I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about birth position. So one of the things that I talk a lot about is the pelvic floor and, mm-hmm. you know, and the evidence around non-recumbent birth positions versus recumbent birth positions. And I understand that, you know, physicians, obstetricians, you're not trained to catch babies when women are on hands and knees. Mm-hmm. So how do we reconcile this, Doc? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, Wait, I, can you it's not recumbent, recumbent just for the... Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so oh, these... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sorry. Okay. I'm like, sorry. like, can we back up? And yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> so basically, we know that when you're pushing a baby out, the sacrum, <clears throat> excuse me, moves the, the coccyx. There should be movement there. And we know that when you're lying flat on your back, for example, with your legs in stirrups, your pelvic floor is, is, you know, A, you're kind of working against gravity and B, we know from the the research that your pelvic outlet is more closed, approximately 30% more closed, and it can make it more traumatic for your pelvic floor. While being potentially more convenient for the care provider, it is, you know, especially for women who are unmedicated, beyond your back's more painful and it's harder for your sacrum to move. Right. Yeah, this this is a tough one. So some of us actually are comfortable with folks being in different positions. So I don't mind catching babies, hands and knees on your side. Whatever works is 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 fine. But not everybody is like that. 
So this is, again, a conversation that you would ideally want to have during your prenatal visits, whether or not it's a possibility and work with the doctor. I don't have a good answer other than that. Some folks just really don't feel comfortable with it. Not right, but that's just kind of how it is. And I actually encourage folks to to try different positions because sometimes you have folks who actually like being on their, yeah. their back. They feel more comfortable. So you really just want somebody who's open to try different things, who's mm-hmm. open to you being on your side, um, to being on hands and knees. Some places will have like birthing stools even that, mm-hmm. you know, you catch the baby that way. So um, I wish I had a better answer, but do you think I they'll don't. ever teach? Because I asked my mid, I had an OB the mm-hmm. first time and a midwife the second time. And, and one of the reasons was because I had in the moment, it was hard to, you know, with my first, they were like, you got to be on your back. And I was unmedicated and I was like mm-hmm. climbing the walls. I was like, right. I can't, right. I can't, like, I can't do it. Like, I can't. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Right. No, I was right. like, ah. so mm-hmm. I ended up being on my side and I just mm-hmm. sort of like, they were like, all right, I guess she's not going to listen to us (laughs) in the moment. But it was also, it was a, it was very, you know, it was not fun in the moment to have to to do that. So the second time I, I, and this is a good friend of mine who's an OB and and I was going to join her practice and, you know, texting her, we're good friends. And I was like, doc, like, what's the deal? Like, I know it might not be you on call. Like, what if someone else is on call and I don't want to be on my back? And she was very honest. She's like, well, two out of the five people in our practice will definitely not be okay with you being anywhere other than on your back. And I was right. like, I'm going to try midwives. I got to, <laughs> you know, I'm going to try right. it, you know. Right. And, and right. I remember asking the midwife and I said, you know, how do you feel about, and she's like, you can be in the shower. I don't care. You can be on your head. I'll catch your baby. <laughs> so why don't we train OBs to catch babies? Just like the, like, is mm-hmm. it that, and I guess that's a question that you don't necessarily have. It's a rhetorical question, but. Yeah, but no, you're right. We should be trained. I mean, period. Like it's, again, it starts with, we need to design everything from centering that birthing person, not the convenience of the doctor in that situation or whatever. I mean, it's a leftover um, uh, from when back in the days and women were knocked out and we just haven't made progress from that in traditional medicine. And, you know, midwives were pushed out of birth in the United States, like systematically, that was purposeful. They were called witches and all kinds of terrible. Tell yeah, us yeah. more about that. Oh yeah. So <laughs> I always um, love the term catch babies, by the way. It's like you guys are a wide receiver, like just woo, there you go. <laughs> and so uh, back, you know, a hundred years ago, people or even longer, people gave birth at home and they gave birth with midwives for the most part. In the United States, a lot of midwifery care was actually provided by Black women, especially in the South. Granny midwives, they were the ones who did a tremendous amount of birth. And then men came into medicine and systematically like discredited midwifery by saying that they were witches or they were dirty or they were unclean. And then that's how birth, and it was better for you to be in the hospital. And that's how birth got moved into the hospital and the midwifery just got taken down. And in that, it was very much so like, we have control over what happens in your body because, you know, we're men, we know what's best. You just need to go, you know, do what we say kind of thing. Wow. Are there books on this that you would recommend reading? Uh, 
Rebecca Decker from Evidence-Based Birth and her book, Babies Are Not Pizza. She talks about this. (laughs) (laughs) Delivery. I get it. Delivery. Okay. Yes. (laughs) Um, She talks about this, actually. Mm-hmm. That's, That's a good, sort of an over uh, an, an overview of it. Yeah. That's mm. a great title. Wow. Yeah. That's so that's really, I mean, not surprising actually now mm-hmm. the history of it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, the American Medical Association, like they systematically like yeah. put out campaigns and things to discredit. Yeah. I use uh midwife, um, same midwife uh team for both Piper and Clark. Um, and same Nikki, she was, she was the one who was promoting and with Clark. I had a harder time pushing them. Piper's a bit bigger and she's like, all right, like try, let's try a new position. Like what way feels good to you? Like just tre- mm-hmm. telling me to go any which way, which I was like, oh really? And because Piper, <laughs> I was fine. I could, I delivered her on my back and it wasn't an issue. I didn't have back pain or anything, but, um, yeah, it's, I was surprised. I, honestly, now I realize like, I was very fortunate with both of my laboring experiences, like very amazing experiences and was able to do them unmedicated and everything and uh, quick. But now I'm realizing how lucky I was because of how uneducated I actually was. And fortunately I had a midwife who was, you know, on my behalf advocating for me and things Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But um, it's so, thank you because this is so helpful. And I know Nikki talks about it you know, so much. And one of her main goals in everything she does is have, being able to have more women advocating for themselves. Um, so you two now definitely need to do more together. Um, <laughs> we have the same mission in mind, but it's so, it, I know this will help a lot of women um, because you don't realize how much you should be really educating yourselves because we are, we grow up learning and are taught that medical professionals have our back. And that is and and therefore they're the professionals and that we take their guidance as the last word. Um, and that's how I, you know, naturally was raised. Mm-hmm. So had I not been led down the midwife path, I don't know what, and that's just because my midwife advocated for me, but I don't know if my, especially Piper experience would have been the same. Like I very much could have ended up in a C-section a lot earlier and I didn't actually end up having to go down that route at all um, with her involved with my midwife involved. So just very appreciative of it. And you're, you're so humble and obviously like you deliver catching babies all day long, but spending all this time doing this as well, um, is really, uh, awesome. It's such a great thing for women to have. Well, thank you. I love, absolutely love what I do. You're very, very good at it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're really, you really, really are. And, and I am also very grateful because, you know, yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, I'm grateful when medical professionals like yourself are so humble and so the door is so open and clearly you're passionate about what it is that you're doing, you know, and, and, you know, there's no ego from what I can tell. And and I say that with a with a huge with a huge amount of gratitude because that's I think the biggest thing when if we're threatened by someone coming in who has a slightly different perspective than us versus being saying okay let's have a conversation like you know what's working for you what isn't working for you like I think that's a that takes a big person to do that well thank you and I, I and I will say like I 
I'm not an anomaly in the sense that I know and I work with other doctors who practice similarly. So we are out there, but sometimes you just have to do some work to to find the right the right match and people who are really there to to support you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What would be so maybe rapid fire before we wrap it up? Mm-hmm. Is there like maybe like five red flags that you would say would be something that you would say if someone, you know, pregnant listening to this asks a couple questions to their care provider, is there a sign that they may want to, you know, potentially look elsewhere? If they say that they don't understand why women want doulas, just go the other way. (laughs) (laughs) That is one. Uh, If they have a problem with birth plans, like if they don't even like want to listen to what you have to say and I don't understand, you know, why you need that. I think that is also um, a red flag. Some, some of it is just straight up asking questions in in my birth plan class. One of the questions I tell people to ask is what is your C-section rate? Like how often do you do C-sections? So if people feel uncomfortable answering that question, that could be a red flag. I had somebody tell me that she asked that question and the doctor told her 70 to 80%. And I'm so, I was like, what did you, I said, did you say 70? He, he said 70 to 80%. And she was like, yeah, he was nice, but he said 70 to 80% run. Like sometimes you just even have to ask. Just, and what should that be at? What is oh, it? 20, 25. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, wow. Yeah. Like it. So sometimes it's just asking the question. I would say in general, if people are giving you pushback or making you feel uncomfortable when um, when you are asking questions. And that is definitely a red flag. And then the final one I'll say is that if there is something in your gut, if there's something in your spirit, soul, whatever you want to call it, that tells you that something is not right, then listen to that voice. It's the reason that it's there. Mm-hmm. Amen that. to that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us where everybody can find you and your amazing courses, your podcast, all of that. Oh, thank you. So my website is easy. It's drnicolerankins.com. And that is where you can find the podcast. It's all about pregnancy and birth. It's on all the podcast platforms. And I'm on Instagram at drnicolerankins as well. Amazing. Thank you. Such a pleasure. And thank you for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.